Hello and welcome to Through the Telescope, the podcast that puts the lens on astronomy. I'm Rose Waugh and I'm an astrophysicist and science communicator. And I'm Elliot Bruce and I'm neither of those things, but I'll be trying to find out why we should even care about astronomy. We'll be exploring some of the big topics in the field in little manageable pieces and have some fun along the way. So, whether you know your red lines from your red shifts, or you're not quite sure what the difference between astronomy and astrology actually is, join us as we launch ourselves into the cosmos and try not to burn up on re-entry. Through the Telescope is sponsored by PicAstro, the astronomy and astrophotography image sharing app, dedicated to your images of the cosmos no matter what stage you are on your journey around the universe. No ads, spam or fake accounts. So Rose, today we're going to be talking about exoplanets. So first of all, what the heck is an exoplanet? Well, an exoplanet is a planet around a star other than the sun. Right, well, there are lots of stars that are not the sun. So yes. how many how many planets, how many exoplanets are there in the universe? A lot. Um, I guess you are asking how many have we found? Um, I guess so. But surely people have worked out, like, oh, well, you know, we've got eight planets, so just times up by the number of stars we can see, mess around with. Ah. There are some stars that don't really have any planets or, you know, that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. So, um, yeah, that would seem perhaps a sensible thing to do. So we've discovered about 5,200 so far. Okay. That have been confirmed. Okay. So first off, um, you can observe an exoplanet, but if you only have one observation, then it's an exoplanet candidate. Okay. So you have to have two separate observations, like an observation and then a backup observation to prove that what you have seen is not something else to confirm that it is an exoplanet. And ideally, that would be found in two different ways, two different methods. Right, okay, yeah. Yeah. That's a pretty common sort of science thing of prove something, then somebody else that is completely unrelated to the first study has to work out, yeah, that's also true for me. Yes, yes. So the reason that I'm getting at this is because it seems that having at least from our observations so far, having eight planets in a system is unusual. Okay. So to just say, well, there are however many stars out there, times that by eight, that's how many planets there are, is probably going to be very wrong. So we'd be times it by five instead? Is that what you're telling me? Well, we don't know how many... the, the, The truth is we don't know how many planets most stars would have because we don't know what most stars are like yeah we just don't know enough about other stellar systems or planetary systems which are both other names for solar systems we tend to not say at least scientifically 
call anything else a solar system. Because we're soul. Because we, yeah. The only solar system is our one. Everything else is a planetary system or a stellar system. Is that official? Does, does um, the world of astronomy and astronomers, do they call our system soul? Or is that just like video games and movies? And it's like Earth and the soul system. Um, probably a mix. I mean, I think some astronomers would describe it as that, but others, not so. Most of us would just call it the sun and the solar system. Also, I was under the impression mm. that the, um, like a sol is like a measurement of time. Oh. Like a day on Mars, a sol. Oh. It's specifically Mars. Yeah. That's weird. There's one for you to fact check for me. That, that sounds like a cheeky Wikipedia. <laughs> well, anyway. So, yeah, we, we just don't know how many planets there are out there. And we don't really know what to expect because we might understandably think that our solar system is normal, but it doesn't so far seem to be. So these these fifty, hang on, how many do you say? Five thousand two hundred. Okay. Roughly. Roughly. So are these then just like planets on their own? Have we just found five thousand two hundred planets out there, and that's it? Or have we found anywhere it's like there are there are eight or five or three planets yeah. all in one? Yeah, we definitely system. have found multiple systems that have multiple planets in. Um. So, there, from those 5,200, there are about... That's from a collection of about 3,900 stars. Okay. So that would be, you know, 3,900 planetary systems. So there's a lot where we've only found one. Yes. But there are some where we've found more than one. Yeah, like three, five, whatever. But not eight. I don't know about eight <laughs> specifically, but... I mean, it took us a while to find eight in our system, so... Yes. I guess it's fair dues that it's taken them a while to work it out in other ones, but... Yes, and as well, often different... different methods of finding exoplanets are good or bad for different things. How do you mean? So, you know, finding a Jupiter-like planet might be good with one method, but bad with another. Okay. And finding an Earth-like planet might be good with a different method and bad with that method that you've used to find Jupiter. So without without knowing anything about this, right, I would assume if somebody was to tell me, go on, find find a planet out there, then first of all I'd be looking for alien TV waves, you know, because that's easy, they're sending it to you for free. <laughs> But apart from that, then I'd be thinking, I'm going to find Jupiter because it's massive. So that must be the easiest one to find. But you're saying that there are some where Jupiter is actually really difficult to find. Yes. So dif different things make, um, you know, planets easier or, or not to find. And it depends on the method you're using. But in general, a big planet, like in size is is going to be easier 
a massive planet, as in, you know, lots of mass, heavy, if you like, that's not scientifically correct, but um, it's going to be easier to find uh, a planet that's close into a star, you know, kind of like close in like Mercury, um, not far away like Pluto, in general, is going to be easier to find. But, you know, you, there are all sorts of planets out there. They're not all very big, very massive, and very close to the star. So I don't know if this, this might be sort of a slightly philosophical point, but um, when... How do you know that you found a planet? I mean, I guess you know that you've not found a rock, but how do you know that you've not found something completely different? Like, I don't know, I guess a moon doesn't really make sense, but like a a small sort of failed star or something. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's a a big problem, especially with some methods. The radial velocity method, which we'll probably chat about later on, especially suffers from this, that um, it is difficult to be certain that what you found is a planet and not a star. Right. Um, like a companion star. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, and probably some of the observations of that, you know, whether they're uh, some of the candidates or, or whatever, are probably not exoplanets. So as well as the 5,200 that we know exist, mm. there's like over 6,000 from TESS. Um, one of the the telescopes, the, the space telescopes, looking for exoplanets that haven't been confirmed yet. They're just exoplanet candidates. There are, there are lots of n- not yet confirmed exoplanets. And if you are observing through methods like... Um, radial velocity it's quite likely that you it might be a star that you found Mm -hmm. and the only way you can really determine for certain that it's a planet is first of all you have to say well it can't be more massive than i think they say like 10 jupiter masses okay otherwise that's going to be a star um but equally, that's why it's important that you use another method to confirm right, yeah. what you found. Because if you Because use... another method might say, well, no, that's definitely a star, that's not a planet. You know? But you can't... It's sort of the case of... If you, if you use one method that says there's a planet there, and there's another method that you can't find anything there, that doesn't mm-hmm. mean it's not there. It just means that that might be a poor method... To detect that type of planet. Is that kind of the case? Yes. I mean, ideally, you're going to pick a method that you think will suit the star, the, the planet that you think is there, or that system. Yeah. And that, that you, as you think it exists. You're not going to you're set yourself gonna... up for failure. Yeah. Basically. Um, but, yeah, just because you don't see something, it doesn't mean it's not there, like you say. Um, but equally, you know, you can get false positives um, for all sorts of reasons. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that's why it's important to confirm that it is, in fact, an exoplanet and get more than one observation. So so we've got 
stars that have one or well, one confirmed exoplanet. And you've got stars that have more planets. Does every star have a planet? Is every star somewhat like our system or even like a less good system with only that one planet? There are different generations of stars in the universe. The first generation are like the first ever stars. Okay. That ever existed. The first generated stars. Yeah, exactly. The first the first stars in the universe. So they're made only of hydrogen and helium. Mm-hmm. And then the next generation, after these stars have gone through their life cycle, would contain, you know, a small percentage of other things from hydrogen and helium. Right. So the star makes, you know, the star burns through its hydrogen and helium and it, it makes other things, it makes other chemical elements. Yeah. And so star number two, generation two, sorry, is um, made of the sort of dead corpse of yeah. the first star. Exactly. So it's got um, hydrogen, helium, some lithium, a bit of beryllium. Yeah. All, you know. I know the chemical. Exactly. I don't need to tell you as a chemist. All the way up. Not all the way up, but, you know, a whole range of different things. Mm -hmm. And astronomers, much to my dislike and emotional upset, call everything that's not hydrogen or helium metals. Right, well, they've got that wrong. Yes. Yes, they have. But... Was there a reason why? I don't know. Like, did they... There maybe was a historical reason. If any of our listeners know what that is, maybe they could let us know. I still won't accept the word metal because it upsets me greatly and it's just factually incorrect. But we're going to go with it here in this explanation anyway. So Generation 2 stars have a small percentage of metals in them. Right, so they've got a little bit of heavier elements that are not hydrogen or helium. Yeah. And then the next generation will be the third generation. Mm. And that's where we're at now. Okay. That's stars like the sun. Mm. Presumably at this point we're burning through more and more hydrogen and helium and we're making more and more of the heavier metals. Exactly. So they have a higher percentage of metals, inverted commas. The generation three stars... Which is us. Which is ours. Right. With the higher percentage of metals, our population one stars. Wait, sorry, what? Gen- that's, that's another name for them. Wait, gen- or, the, or the proper name for them. Population one. Uh, what? Because we look around in the universe, we see a lot, I guess, of... We, we know, or we knew about them first. <laughs> Right, so so we're generation three, mm-hmm. but we're population one. Yeah. Oh. Yep, yep, I know. Okay. Generation two is population two. Well, that's handy. Yeah. But also confusing, because if you think about them, you're going to get the other ones confused. Generation one is population three? Yes. Okay, so it's like UK and US knitting needle sizes. Yes. Which go up and down. <laughs> In opposite directions. In opposite directions. Yes. So, is it the UK? Smaller needles have a larger number. <laughs> or the US? Smaller needles have a smaller number. Something like that. Or you could just use the metric 
diameter of said knitting needles. Right, yes. I'm sure that is true. But that's not helpful to our understanding here. Jeez. So we've got population one star and a generation three star. And it's the same star. So, yeah, we haven't actually seen or found any population three stars. The generation one stars. Right. Because they would be so old. We know that they must exist because there must have been first stars. But I guess by definition, unless they were always there. Were they always I there? suppose that's true, but... <laughs> anyway, to make planets, you need metals, inverted commas. Right. You need something that's not hydrogen and helium. Okay, yeah. So, yeah. back however long ago, mm. when you asked... How many how many stars have planets? If you consider all stars ever, mm. then the answer is then not every star has a planet. Because the first stars shouldn't have had any. Yes, because there's nothing to make the planets out of. Yes. Yeah. But can't you just have like a small sort of... Isn't Jupiter like hydrogen, helium? Yeah, mostly. It does have some other stuff in there. So, could you not just have, like, a little ball of hydrogen and helium left over that's not collapsed into the star? Maybe. I'm not sure, and I'm not sure if... I'm I'm not sure what it would form into. Possibly. It's a mini star. But if it doesn't combust, is it a planet? Combust. Fuse. Well, brown dwarves Mm. are not capable of sustaining their own uh, nuclear fusion. Okay. But they're not planets. Are they stars? Yes. Um, What's the definition of a star? I don't know. Off the top of my head. And is it a definition which happens to include brown dwarves because... Either, People have previously said brown dwarfs are a star. Either it will have adapted to fit brown dwarfs, or brown dwarfs will be in that awkward, not anything, right own category, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, I don't know, off the top of my head. But they're not planets. So going back to the generation thing. Yes. Is there a generation four? Well... There might be. And is that a population for? <laughs> well, I don't... I don't think there is right now, because I'm not sure what the difference really is. I'm not sure if there's, like, a cut-off to do with the metallicity or... Oh, uh, OK. Or what. I'm not really sure why the populations were defined the way that they were. You might need to get some kind of, like star formation person to tell us because this just sounds sounds like a lot of science it sounds like people started classifying things but they didn't have all the things available to them yeah that's how a lot of things in astro work they didn't really work it out properly whereas if they just waited another 50 years or something we would have known about everything yeah another good example of that um speaking of stars, is, like, the classification of stars. 
You know, like O, B, uh, like the different types of stars, like O stars, B stars, G stars, M stars. M stars. Yeah, M dwarfs. Oh, you worked on M dwarfs. Yeah. See, well, I those take an different types of stars were like, you know, this classification was invented. And then you, like, learn a little acronym. Right. For, like, all the different types of stars. Okay. And then, actually, there's, like, however many more. Right. Because, you know, like you say, science catches up with itself. I mean, you've classified already, things. You started then, off by saying O, what did you say? O, B. Yeah. Which is already... Was not A B. I don't know. A is smaller than B. Yeah. O is a lot bigger than B. Mm-hmm. Assuming we're talking about alphabet and assigning numerical values. I suppose just writing really big O's. No, I was talking about the the mass of stars. Oh, so it works, does it? So from big to small. Mm. O B A G. Okay, no, it's not G. <laughs> it's too late. O B a fine guy, kiss me. Point is, mm. that seems like kind of nonsense, and then it turns out that there's also, like after that, it goes like K L. And then they can't do M because they've already done M. Right. Why did they even come from all these? I mean. G- yeah. Fucking chemistry, the the S P D F. I can't remember which one they found first, but D is like diffuse. Um S is spherical and yeah. P I think is primary based on something that I should remember but I can't remember. So you go S P D F and then they get into a groove and they go uh G H I J like now it makes sense, yeah. apart from when we come across the letters that we've already done. So, and then you got to skip them because we've already used them. Yeah. yeah. But luckily, I don't think we ever really get that high of F. So, some people probably do. But mm-hmm. yeah, I I love a a made up system that doesn't quite work. I think. For me, I kind of feel like stars should have a planet because when you think about how a star is formed, maybe we'll talk about this in more detail in a future episode, but it feels kind of natural, if you like, for there to be bits left over that would form into a planet. Like a IKEA flat pack set where you always have like there's always a leftover left screw. Over. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, should this be attached to something? Yeah. Should I really sit on this sofa? Yeah. Or not? Yes. Yeah, but again, I think, like, these are all... They're all questions that that seem, on the surface, quite basic. Mm. Because they seem basic, that makes us feel like they should be simple to answer. Mm-hmm. But our understanding of the universe is not that great. We don't completely understand how planets form, you know? We understand somewhat how planets form, but there's still a lot of debate about how our solar system came to be how it is and how the planets in it came to be how they are. 
So we obviously don't know that much about planet formation. Okay, we might need to have an episode on planet formation because I feel like there's quite a lot I want to ask you about that. <laughs> I wonder if it's just kind of, you know, a sort of, what's the word? I guess kind of parochial kind of viewpoint. I don't really know, but, you know, until you experience something different, everything that you can imagine is sort of... Um, very similar to your lived experience and that's also true with sort of um, with the solar system and, and other stars as well so you kind of have well every star must be kind of like the sun and every star must have planets like we have planets and maybe mm -hmm. lots of them will have an earth like planet with life for instance yes um yeah. I guess that comes down to the, what's that equation? With the... The Drake equation. Probably. About how many planets have... How many have aliens life. are out there. Yeah. And how quickly they will have destroyed themselves. <laughs> Going back to your original question of how many exoplanets are there. Mm. The... It's also, as with all things in science, maybe not that straightforward because you can find... If you go onto Google and you search that question, mm. you'll find a few different answers. Yeah. You won't find just the answer that I have given to you when I went to find the latest up-to-date as of 1st of January 2023, how many exoplanets are there? So people um, listening to this, there, there could be more. Yeah, but even if they went to search today, right, they could come up with a different answer to me. When you say today, day of recording or day of listening? Day of recording. Um, and the point is that different databases have different entry requirements for if something is or isn't an exoplanet. Right, so right, so it's not even let alone like two, two different methods. It's different. Different people have different expectations. Yeah. So. So there's um, not just one database. There's not no, just one. There isn't, but the main one would be the NASA Exoplanet Archive. Because NASA is the main thing for everything, is it? They like to think so. <laughs> um. <laughs> They've been to the moon, row. Yes. Uh, anyway, they have a policy of um, including and classifying all objects as planetary if they meet the following criteria. And here's a quotation <laughs> so that we're not plagiarising them. So we're not plagiarising them. I don't know, this, this sounds like we are plagiarising them. If it's a, if it's a, oh, because we're putting a quote in, so it's not plagiarism. Yeah. I thought you meant, it's not plagiarism, this is lifted directly from their website or whatever. Yes. Well, well, it is, because yes. it's a quote. But anyway, the mass or minimum mass of your planet is equal to or less than 30 Jupiter masses. First of all, how can I have a minimum mass? Mass or so, minimum so your mass. observations might not provide an exact value for a mass. Right, okay. They might provide a minimum value. Not a maximum? 
not on maximum always, or sometimes that's not of interest. Okay. Um, the planet is not free-floating, so we'll come back to that <laughs> okay. later. But that's a, that's a rogue planet. Ooh. Sufficient follow-up observations and validation have been undertaken to deem the possibility of the object being a false positive as unlikely. They need to reword that one, Ro. That one's... So let me have a look at that one. Sufficient follow-up observations... Right, so they're pretty darn sure that it's all right. Yeah. Okay. The above information, along with further orbital and or physical properties, are available in peer-reviewed publications. So you can't just say, I spotted this. Right. And put it on your blog. Right. You have to write a paper, a scientific paper, that contains enough information mm. about the planet and and the observations. And it has to be peer-reviewed by another scientist right? in that field. These results must be peer-reviewed and accepted for publication in the astrophysical literature. I don't really know how that's much different to the yeah. other one. Is that like, don't put it in like, I don't know, the Lancet or something. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, I'm not sure why British you British Medical Journal. <laughs> Just random, random exoplanet paper. Um, but yeah, I'm not really sure how that one's different apart from that. But... Does, um, what about like nature or science? Do they count? Probably because NASA exoplanet archive probably deem them to be... Astrophysical literature. Yeah, high value enough for them to take... Take that one. Anyway, so yeah. So basically there were a few different archives. So there's a paper for answers. there's a paper for every one of these exoplanets. Or I guess you might have like three, but Yeah, you one, might but. you might have a paper that's got multiple multiple observations. That seems kind of crazy when well, I guess it isn't really in a way, but and there's five thousand two hundred confirmed ones. Mm-hmm. Then that's that's a lot of papers. I don't know, I guess I kind of, it seems like you're at the point where, you know, if if somebody was to say, I found the ninth planet in the solar system, I would expect there to be a paper. Yeah. When you've got, when you're into I, I'll the be thousands. Honest, I would expect it to be more than one paper. Right. Because you could, might have. Yeah, I would expect a part one, part two. Right, yeah. I mean, to be honest, like the stuff I work in, in, with like materials, you've got like I don't even know how many thousands, lots and lots of different materials, and there's a paper published for like each one of them, so it's not really that surprising. But yeah, geez. I think because when you're presented with the information like that, you know, me sat here saying mm. there's 5,200 planets, um. It's like, wow, that's a lot of work. That's mm. a lot of science. That's like, you know, especially when you're a researcher and yeah. you've been on the end of what it takes to write a paper. Mm. That's a lot of work, you know. Yeah. But that's not happened overnight. Mm. You know, this has been going on for not all that long. Exoplanets is a relatively new field. Mm. in astronomy but not like no amount of time you know and it's not one person yeah it's been going on for decades you know and it's not one person like you say 
So is there, is there like a database of unconfirmed ones that then people will go and they'll check out, oh yeah, entry 1746, I'm going to try and look at that in a different method? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what it would be off the top of my head, but, um, you know, things like tests, typically they make their, their data publicly available. Right, okay. So you would be able to get your hands on it and um, and do whatever you want with it. In some cases, they don't, you know, some things will put, like, their raw data mm. out there straight away. Other things, it it won't go up immediately. Like, it'll be publicly available, but they'll filter it or, um, you know, yeah. process it in some way yeah. beforehand. Get um, rid of noise. Yeah. 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 I would quite like to do some stuff in exoplanets. Don't tell my supervisor. Ah, <laughs> uh, she just um not a fan. No. I think quite a lot of her her students have eventually, once they've progressed with their career, dabbled in the dark side. And uh I think she gets bored of hearing about it because a husband works in exoplanets. Fair. <laughs> Fair. And she thinks stars are more interesting. Which, I don't know, I think they're both very interesting. I mean, I work in stellar physics, so I'm not, like, slagging off stars. <laughs> well, you'd hope not. Although nothing can put you off a subject like studying it, I guess. So, <laughs> I guess I kind of thought when you um, talk about it's unconfirmed... It's confirmed. We've now got two two different methods. Either you have a database where you just like, I think I found a thing, and you basically like you put it onto Facebook or wherever, and you say, "Does anybody know if they've got like a different telescope or something to check out whether this is correct?" Mm. Yeah, so that's option number one, sort of like um, a community notice or public database of unidentified, not unidentified, unconfirmed things. Or you hoard the information and instead you go to either your other telescope or you go to your friend who you've published lots of papers with who has a different telescope and you say, don't tell anyone, but I think I found an exoplanet. Do you want to join in? Right. And then they go, boom, confirmed exoplanet out of nowhere. Yeah, I mean, you could do that, I suppose. I think that probably in most cases, you know, a lot there is a lot of collaboration that goes on in astro, as with many science things. Um, but I think you know, you would just you would maybe, if for whatever reason you really wanted to keep your hands on this particular exoplanet, mm. you would maybe hold back on publishing your paper on that, but you still write your paper about it being, you know, this exoplanet that you found, and then, you know, either give your collaborators a head start or just wait for whatever reason. I'm not sure why you would want to, but maybe, you know, for some reason you do. Wait for them to write their follow-up paper confirming it. You wouldn't make that one paper. Some of it's like the politics of 
research and process of publishing and sort of prestige, etc., etc., you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, again, maybe this is something for a, a strange, different podcast episode. Mm. Publishing in science takes a lot longer than the general public think. It does. You don't make a discovery and then that's your eureka and everyone knows about it. Yeah. You know, it takes a really long time to go from research idea or strange observation or whatever mm. to published paper, especially if you're trying to get a peer-reviewed one, which in most cases you are, because um, that's how science better um, operates. So, yeah, you're... like you say, there's a lot of politics that goes on and it's maybe not the kind of politics that people would expect. There are some rivalries and things, of course, but and if, if... I don't think that's the kind of politics that normally influences people's decisions about these things, is it? It's more trying to make sure that they they can have a career. Yeah. <laughs> because it's a very unstable job and career and part of that, in academia. Part of that is gambling on whether you can get more information yourself um, or put more, get more analysis, get more out of the data yourself or whether somebody else will have published something on the, the thing that you're doing to a greater or lesser extent sooner. Yes. And then even if your paper would be like far better than what has just been published. You're too the late. novelty has been lost. Yeah. And, yeah. and I guess that's scooped. particularly true when you're discovering something like a, an item, a cosmic item mm -hmm. um, for the first time. So are there any particularly interesting ones out there? Yeah, lots of weird exoplanets. Um, so here's a few that you might you might be interested in. Let's do them briefly. Okay, we... well, so there's 5,200 in total, are there? Yeah. So this is a selection. 55 Cancer E, a diamond planet, maybe. Nice. It's it's a carbon planet anyway, and it's been superheated. Okay. So therefore it might, might be full of diamonds. But it could be graphene, or graphite rather. Yeah, I mean, I haven't read the paper, so I don't know, like, would they give different light signatures or something? Presumably. <sighs> Presumably. Presumably. Very different bonding. But, but yeah. Yeah, the, the linking between chemistry and astro here. Um, HD 189773B. Was that HD 189773B? Yeah. It just trips off the tongue. It does. It rains glass sideways there, maybe. So at least it has silica in the atmosphere. Okay. That's heated and it makes glass. Okay. And then it falls back towards the planet. And it's also mega windy. Right. Because it's got two very different temperatures on, on different sides of the planet. So, yeah, maybe like glass tornadoes. Oh, oh, glass winds, anyway. Sounds awful and very painful. Pretty weird, though. That is, yeah. 
Aww. Like proper hailstones. But the stones are made of stone. Although amorphous. Or TOI 849B. Mm. It's the exposed remnant core of a gas giant that's had its oh. atmosphere blasted away. It's 40 times as massive as Earth. So is this like what might be inside Jupiter or Saturn? Is that kind of what we're talking about? Yeah. Ah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And pretty is cool. this is this like a gas giant that's got too close to the star or something? Why is it being blown away? Yeah, if it's had its atmosphere blasted away, then it's likely, you know, that that's been caused by the star. Because um, that must be a lot of atmosphere to get. Yeah, so stellar winds can be pretty uh, damaging. Jeez. Um the material from the star blowing out into space and and taking all the things with it, like atmospheres of planets. Mm. Also, like, you know, stellar activity in general, like flares or or whatever can also do that. Um, or, you you know, you could have, like, some sort of stellar event, like the red giant blasting off its... Um, off its shell, just leaving the core behind when a star goes through later parts of life. You know, and, and maybe that explosion, explosion is the wrong word, but you know, yeah, could uh, remove that atmosphere as well, or instead. So yeah, there are various different ways. If, if it's yeah. like it, only the exposed core with nothing else left, definitely suggests, doesn't it, something very extreme. Very extreme. So yeah. Possibly even like Star Wars, like a sort of mm-hmm. Alderaan, Alderaan based event. Um, Trez to be. Or not Trez to be. The Goth planet, the darkest known exoplanet, reflects less than 1% of any light that hits it. So if it reflect, doesn't reflect any, yeah, or near enough, then it absorbs all of it. Does that mean it's hot? Yeah, probably. Or does that just mean that it's quite far away from everything, so it's hotter than it, you might expect it to be, but it's not really hot. Well, it's specific. I guess if it was really far away, then it might not be absorbing much. But mm. yeah, if it's if it's that black, it's definitely absorbing the light that hits it, and all of it is not reflecting it. So, yeah. Basically, what it comes down to is that chemistry on other planets is very different to the chemistry that we're used to, you know. It's not necessarily the same. Like, there's a whole bunch of things that could could happen, you know? Mm. And so you get very different exoplanets. And this all comes back into enhancing people's understanding of how planets are formed in the first place. Yes. Got you. Well, that that does actually seem like a, a reason why we should care about exoplanets. Apart from just they're cool. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of a whole realm of of science, of chemistry, physics, even potentially biology that is is out there waiting for us to to understand it, you know? And it's quite different from anything that we know. 
So earlier you you mentioned in passing about rogue planets. Yes. We've not mentioned them so far. So no. what so what is no, a rogue planet? We should planet? just have a brief uh chat about them, I suppose, since since I brought them up earlier. So a rogue planet is a planet that's wandering about without a star. Right. And naturally that brings up some questions that I can't necessarily answer for you. Mm. Like, was it formed like that? Did it somehow form in a way that it didn't have a star in some way? Mm. Or was it, like, flung out from a system? Mm. Um, Which, you know, might maybe seem like a more likely thing. But then how was it flung out from a system? What happened that managed to fling an entire planet mm. out of a solar system or a stellar system? Um, and then, you know, did that happen very early on during the planet formation? Again, back to planet formation. Mm. Or did that happen after some crazy event, you know, when when the stellar system was very established? Did something, you know, crazy happen? Did another star passed very close by or something. Yeah, yeah. That flung out, disrupted the gravity and flung out a planet or maybe more than one planet. Um, and then, you know, how, that's just crazy, isn't it? What what would life... Mm. <laughs> what, what would it be like to be on a rogue planet? You well, would have no star. It reminds me of um, an old American TV show, Space 1999, mm. where... The, there's a moon base on the moon, because where else would you have a moon base? And um, they've got, like, some sort of, like, radioactive waste dump on there or something, and it explodes, and it knocks the moon out of Earth's orbit, and the, the moon gets shot into deep space. Mm, that and sounds great for Earth. I'm yeah. sure you would have no problems so, at all with that. So the TV show follows these people on the moon base as they, like have their journey through space and it's also like they can't stop at any point they just like encounter new things and it's like well the moon's going this way so we gotta get back to the moon and keep on going but i always did think like but the people at home on the earth they don't have tides (laughs) now (laughs) Um, they have so many problems. They have a lot of problems going on. But yeah, it basically that, because they, they just got flung out into deep space. Also, you can't fling out the moon without the Earth also having a bit of a ricochet going on. I saw a news article a while ago about a rogue planet, actually. I don't. It wasn't a particular one, it was just the concept of a rogue planet. And they were saying that, basically, previously they thought that because... Um, planets without a star would be cold because there's Mm. no star then that's it you could never have any life because all astronomy subjects always have to come back to is there life Mm -hmm. and then some smart people did some calculations and they thought actually if you work out the energy from the radioactive material that may be present in a planet that actually, if there was a thick enough atmosphere, then the planet could be warm enough to sort of sustain life, um, as we vaguely know it. Um, I guess have liquid water, etc. 
even though there's no star nearby. Mm-hmm. Um, which, when I read it, I was then thinking, gosh, can you imagine if there were, like, if it lasted long enough, then you could have, like, an entire civilization sort of grow. And, I mean, I don't know what kind of life forms would come about when there's no light in the sky, especially if the atmosphere is so thick you can't even see the stars. But, you know, you could end up growing up on this planet and maybe even working out that the, the planet isn't going to be around forever. You've got to, got to get yourself out of there at some point and go off, find a star, or maybe try and angle your planet towards a star. But I think I was just going a bit crazy at that point. Yeah, but then maybe you don't need to. Because maybe the amount of time you've got is so long. You're like, well... You know, should we start looking for a new planet? Because when the sun starts to become a red giant, it's going to swell and get very close to us. Well, Elon thinks so, but I don't know that Mars is going to necessarily be a final destination in that case. It's going to be so long away... Yeah. ...that there's no reason to believe we need to leave for that reason. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Um... So maybe you wouldn't. Maybe it would be the same thing. Mm. And with that really interesting and strange thought, I think we should leave it there. Yeah. So that just about wraps things up for this episode. Please, can we encourage you to subscribe to Through the Telescope wherever you find your podcasts. And if you like, you can leave us a nice positive review as well. It really helps the show and it makes it easier for more people to find us. Feel free to send us any comments, questions or suggestions of things or people you'd like to hear about or from in future episodes. Or perhaps to put yourself forward to chat about your own astro research or experiences. As always, you can find us on Instagram at Through the Telescope Podcast, or you can find me at astrophysicist underscore rose. You can also find us on Twitter at The Telescope Pod. And you can contact us by email at throughthetelescopepodcast at gmail.com. And with that, we'd like to thank you very much for listening, and we look forward to seeing you again next time. Bye! Bye.